Hello, and welcome to this episode of We Work Europe, the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions. This time, we'll talk about something that makes the EU not just unique, but also a model of success. We'll talk about the welfare state, how it was affected by the pandemic, and how fit for future our European social model is. Spoiler alert, it's very fit for future, and even more than you'd expect. So, this is We Work Europe. The podcast of the European Centre for Workers' Questions. It's something you experience almost every day, even if you don't recognise it at first. It's something that gives your life a certain amount of security. And it's something that stabilises our society. We call it the welfare state. And if you have a look at the past two years, it's easy to see how much it had to deliver during times of crisis. And the challenges for the system are not likely to decline in the future. I think we will need more and more of that welfare state. And so in one way, I am very uh, positive about uh, the social security, social protection, welfare state as an answer to those new megatrends. Uh, but at the same time, you uh, need to defend it also. This is Jeff Pakalay. He's a professor emeritus of economy at the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium. For more than 30 years, he has studied the economic impact the welfare state has had on the EU. With the Hever Research Institute for Work and Society, Jeff is closely linked to ESA. Hever is also an ESA member centre. The welfare state is a system that tries to protect us from the risks of life. When we lose our jobs, we get unemployment benefit. When we get sick, Our health insurance prevents us from going bankrupt. When we raise our kids, our public school system co-educates them for free. According to its general definition, the system is based on the principles of equality of opportunity, ideally the equitable distribution of wealth and the public responsibility for those unable to provide for themselves the minimum needed for a good life. And the welfare state seems to be quite expensive. Some countries put around 30% of their gross domestic product into their social systems to make them stable and fit for the megatrends of the coming decades. The the global challenges are, among among others, demography, migration, part of demography on one end, but also the climate change, of course, the changing world of industries, uh, of work, uh, the digitalization, and so all those megatrends will be discussed and then see how it will influence the design and also the financing of the welfare state at the European level. Now, imagine a fictional society of a hundred people where a third of the income goes directly to people who, according to the definition of the welfare state, are unable to provide for themselves. Seems rather expensive, doesn't it? 
and imagine that this fictional society must deal with external shocks, such as climate change or a pandemic, and has to compete with other communities that don't allocate that much to their social security. Now, the design has to be quite sophisticated in order to keep it running. What appears to be an almost impossible task on a small scale has proved to be an advantage on a bigger scale. For instance, the United States, uh, if you do not have a, a public social security scheme for, for instance, healthcare, it can happen that you will get a private system that has proven to be in the United States more expensive even than our public uh, widely available system of uh, public health care. So uh, the social model that we are all the time talking about of Europe is not uh, less competitive than the United States. Or, if you look at the numbers, the cost of the US healthcare system is an estimated 3.5 trillion, yes, trillion, not billion, dollars. That's because it's a private business, which is vastly deregulated. Chronic diseases in particular can have a devastating impact on the lives of many families, not just physically, but also financially. But there is more to the effectiveness of the European model, especially when we talk about unemployment. To understand the success of the measures to prevent the unemployment that was mainly achieved through job retention schemes, supports to enterprises and businesses and workers directly. Uh, the, the, the main way to assess it is comparing to something beyond Europe. So unemployment in the USA, for example, in the first half of 2020 had risen enormously and uh, it was reaching close to 15%, slightly under 15%. Whereas what happened in Europe as a whole and in different regions of it was that unemployment basically stayed at the levels where it was before the crisis. This is Tadus Leonchikas. He's a researcher at Eurofound. Eurofound is a Dublin-based agency of the European Union with the purpose of improving living and working conditions for its citizens. Tadus and his colleagues carry out research on labour markets and employment, working conditions and social policies. And, of course, with the global shock provided by the pandemic, there was a lot to be discovered about the reaction and the shape of the welfare state. So the first effect we saw on the welfare state was mobilisation. Mobilisation across all EU member states, searching for tools and measures to react to the shock the pandemic provided, to react to the shock of closures, lockdowns, restrictions uh, that uh, nearly put economy to a halt. And uh, what countries quickly mobilised, relatively quickly mobilised across Europe, were job retention schemes. And in order to run those job retention schemes, funds had to be found. So a lot of uh, unemployment-related payments, payments to employees, subsidies to employees and companies alike had to be funded. And not all countries had same capabilities and resources for that. You can see that, for example, when you look at the rise of expenditure, with countries having to invest in their social system. 
Denmark and Sweden, for instance, raised their public expenditure by 4%. But Malta, by contrast, had to raise its investments by 28%. So there is a link between the development of a welfare state and its resilience to crises. And, if you look at how the welfare state generally coped with the spontaneous, all-affecting health crisis, Jeff and Tadus would agree. Frankly, it did pretty well. We estimated the risk for the public health so large that we concluded we will pay the price. We will allow our economy to go in a lockdown and that implied a growth standstill of the economy and so it was a loss of GDP. Uh, But at the same time came the other. Uh, You need uh, then all your research and development to get for a vaccine because that was the only way out. That has been uh, successful remarkably quickly. And the other was that the uh, social consequences of the lockdown came uh, immediately up front, short-term unemployment, unemployment insurance even for self-employed persons. It became clear that this is the, you need to have it in, in place to absorb the economic uh, cost that you need to absorb. However, while the overall reaction was very positive, there are some sectors in the welfare state that displayed their vulnerability. Our elderly care system was not adapted or not strong enough And what I observed in Belgium was that it was, in the very beginning, completely uh, forgotten as part of the system to to absorb the risk, especially for the need for care for the very elderly persons. And for Tadus, one other sector was neglected – care for young people. Although they were considered the group that would adapt most quickly to a new situation, there were serious challenges. What was noticed in youth work and social work with young people uh, rather quickly that a saturation point for activities online was soon reached. Pupils and students were being schooled online for a good portion of the day and young people after that did not necessarily want additional online activities as part of various youth programs. Social work activities that were based on uh, uh, street work, on direct interaction, on direct contact maintenance, uh, did not necessarily find easy ways um, to adapt to this new situation. Apart from the Covid crises, which the European social system handled generally well, except for the two above-mentioned points, there are threats to the system to which a solution hasn't been found so far. What is happening for the moment is that uh, big firms, gigafirms worldwide, are so dominating uh, and able to uh, create a monopoly rent in one way or another that they can take for themselves. So there is an immense uh, use of their wealth at the disadvantage of the workers in those gig industries and at the disadvantage of the consumers. And not just at the economic level, but also from the social perspective. Gigafirms undermine the European social model in a tremendous way. If you want more details on that, check out the We Work Europe episode where we talk about the Amazon system. There, you can learn exactly how these companies threaten democracy itself. In short, gigafirms wriggle themselves out of laws and regulation. They undermine labour laws or data protection. 
With their tax avoidance methods, they reject financial participation in the system that was designed for the benefit of society itself. All of that combined requires strong responses and a counteracting role from the state or a federation of states, such as the EU. I would also add uh, that uh, another challenge for welfare state in Europe is addressing inequality. Welfare states have been successful in helping people go through transitions, life transitions, from studies to employment, from employment to unemployment and back to labor market, having breaks uh, in their lives, um, in their working careers for family and then getting back into the labor market and so on. But what welfare states have not necessarily achieved uh, very successfully is controlling their level and spread of inequality across society. So that is one area to develop. However, despite all the shocks and crises and gigafirms increasing levels of inequality in Europe, Tadas from Eurofound is still optimistic that the system of social security will remain stable. Funding social protection in the EU is not likely to decrease. We, we are well familiar with the long-lasting permanent debate on um, challenges related to funding welfare provision. But it has been stable, it has been increasing in many countries and in my view is not likely to decrease just because of its importance, because of the essential role it plays. However, funding social protection in the EU in the future will be related to how the member states will resolve the controversies that are there around consolidating budgets, around fiscal discipline, around rules for state support and so on. For more than 30 years, Jeff has been organising the State of the Welfare State Conference, which takes place every five years. Since 1992, his objective has been to look at how the welfare state is coping with the challenges of its time. Now, in 2022, we can observe measures and effects of the state that Jeff wasn't able to imagine back in 92. And when we ask him what the state of the welfare state is likely to be in 30 years, this is his prediction. We will um, by then live longer than we do before uh, and that we will be richer than before, even with the, the, the crises at, at this moment, yeah, that we will have a, a higher level of insurance and protection with a lo- higher uh, life expectancy and uh, higher material welfare. So I all the time regret that I am born too early in 1951 and not in 2050 because the future looks more bright to me in the statistics for the moment. If you want to read some other predictions about the future of the welfare state, just read the free digital ESA magazine, which you will find at www.esa.org. And of course, as always, if you like We Work Europe, do give us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you have any interesting topics or feedback for us, just contact isa at isa.org. We Work Europe is the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions, which receives financial support from the European Union. This podcast was narrated by me, Rebecca Sharp. Script and production by Escucha, Audio Identity.